welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that is ripped from the headlines. Well, not usually, but this one somehow is. <laughs> I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 120. When you hear this, I'll be at the Grand Canyon with Dustin. I'm actually editing and mixing all of this a week early, literally just a few hours after releasing episode 119. I am like glued to my desk today. And that's because I'm leaving for a work trip tomorrow morning and I'll be gone all week. Normally, I take all of my recording equipment with me on trips like this so I can work at night. But this time, I'm just going to try reading books or relaxing or putting blister band-aids on my feet instead. <laughs> so what's happening in this episode? Because it's a long one. I'm going to warn you right now. You want might want to split it up over a few days. Well, last month, Mary Fonz, who is a writer, editor, and public speaker specializing, this is according to her website, in the history of American quilts and the life of quilts in popular culture, she made a video about quilt clothing. You may have seen it on Instagram. It was posted three times. The thumbnail was a black box with the words, quilt clothes must die. People were upset. I was upset. I received many messages about this video. Don't worry, we're going to talk all about it. Today, I'm being joined by Danny of Picnic Wear. You all know her by now. And artist slash quilter, although aren't artist and quilter kind of synonyms, Leslie Gold. And we're going to break down this video slash some of its claims. We're going to talk about our own journeys and thoughts with it. And ultimately, what we can all learn from this as makers, activists, and members of the slow fashion community. I don't want to give too much of it away because trust me, it's all in there in our two-hour conversation. So let's jump right in. All right, today we're going to talk about something that lit the internet on fire a few weeks ago. Um, I received this sent to me hundreds of times via both my personal and Close Horse Instagram account. I have already received many messages asking me if I've done an episode about this. Unfortunately, I'm not Dateline. It takes some time to get there. But today we're going to talk about what I've been calling Quiltgate. I don't know if anybody else is calling it that, um, but I'm really excited to have two fabulous guests with me today, and one of them is someone you're all familiar with. Danny, go ahead, introduce yourself to everyone again. Hi, everyone. I'm Danny. I am the sole proprietor and designer of Picnic Wear. You hear my ad at the beginning of the episodes. Um, I've been on quite a number of episodes with Amanda, and yes, Picnic Wear is a slow fashion brand um, <laughs> made mostly with upcycled towels. So for while this whole quilt gate thing was going on, a lot of people like reshared my posts and were like, let Danny keep making quilt clothes. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, never, ever have I cut up a quilt, but whatever. I'm not yeah. even going to bother. I found myself like in this whole thing. Um, but we'll get more into that and why soon. I, you know, it's funny because I receive messages from people who are like, Amanda makes stuff out of quilts. Let her do it. And I was like, I actually don't literally make anything, guys. I don't have time. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for thinking of me in this important time. So what Danny is, what Danny is talking about is this video that was was posted on Instagram, not once, 
not twice, but three times, entitled Quilt, was it Quilt Clothes Must Die, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was posted by a woman named Mary Fonz. This is not a Mary Fonz takedown podcast. Uh, I do have some issues. That's a really, like, amicable way of saying it. I have some issues with the video, the way it was created, etc. But this is not about, like, fuck Mary Fonz, fuck quilting, anything like that. So Danny has brought a guest with her. Uh, I, first off, I thought, Danny, why don't you tell us why you wanted to do this episode? Because it was your idea. And then you can tell us why you brought Leslie into this. Sure. Yeah. So, Amanda, you and I have been talking for a long time about doing an episode about trends because, you know, based on both of our experiences working in the retail world for so long. And a part of me always had this kind of like, thing in the back of my head about the whole quilt clothes trend and how in many ways it was starting to sit uncomfortably for me because of how kind of like saturated that whole market came became and having known Leslie for a very long time and her being a quilter and like a meticulous quilter very passionate quilter (laughs) I could even though I never had a conversation with Leslie about this, I just knew because of her passion that she was probably going wild by all this quilt clothing she was seeing. And I feel like we even exchanged a couple words on Instagram about it. Like, we I was did. Like, you must, yeah, I was like, you must be like fucking dying because of all these clothes being made out of quilts. <laughs> and so when, and I wanted to start this conversation with you, Amanda, and, and the quilt thing always kind of was in my mind because, but I was, you know, kind of having a hard time figuring out how to approach it because I don't want to offend anyone. Mm -hmm. And I have so many friends who make things out of quilts. Um, But so when this quilt video came out and I saw it even a little bit on the late end, but it felt like kind of on the early end, I feel like it was like a day after Mary Fonz made these posts, but I saw it because of Leslie. Leslie shared it in her Instagram stories. And so my husband, Jason, found saw that she posted it and was like, ooh, Danny, we're going to want to watch this because it's something <laughs> we talk about. And so we like put it on our TV. We were like, it's 20 minutes. Like put it on the TV, not just Whoa. on our phones. Yeah. And we started <laughs> watching. And um, so when it started, I was like eager to see this woman's perspective because I, you know, just from the way that Leslie shared it, I knew it was coming from a quilter and it was called Quilt Coat clothes must die. So obviously I kind of had a feeling where it was going. And in the beginning I was like, okay, yeah, like this lady's a little wild. I don't know about her, like the way she's handling this, but I can, you know, I appreciate her perspective. And then it kind of like turned a curve and just got nasty. Like it had Mm -hmm. mean girls burn book vibe energy and it was like not cool anymore and actually I felt like it was starting to have the exact opposite effect of what I was hoping this conversation would bring up because her perspective of like quilt clothes was just so nasty and gatekeepy and Mm -hmm. and I felt like it was doing a disservice to the fact that so many people already own clothes made out of quilts. This trend has been going on for a number of years now. And the way that she was approaching it was very like to wear a clothes to wear clothing made out of quilts is like 
shameful. You should never yeah. wear it. So it was like mm-hmm. all these people who already have clothes made out of quilts, what? You're saying like keep it in the back of your closet, throw it away, donate it? Like what are you trying to say here? Because this is having like a a, a negative effect in my opinion. So that's why I got really up in arms about it because it was like, you know, this is the opposite of what us in the upcycling world are trying to promote. We're promoting mm-hmm. like reusing textiles, making things that will stand the test of time. They're beautiful raw materials and they're beautiful when those raw materials are turned into coats or whatever it may be. So that's kind of why I was, sh- and then I started to see some other folks in the upcycling world start to share it and. I just decided to add my voice in. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of how the conversation started. And Amanda and I started talking about it. Um, and you suggested that we bring Leslie into yeah. the conversation. So why don't you introduce yeah. Leslie to us? Yeah, I would. Oh, my God. I would love to talk up Leslie. So, <laughs> so, okay. So I guess the reason why I thought of Leslie is because this Mary woman just made me so mad. And I felt like she had, she had some like good points that were just Mm -hmm. getting so muddied by her nastiness. And I couldn't stop thinking about Leslie and how Leslie is an amazing quilt artist. Leslie is an amazing artist, period. Any, if you know, Leslie, anything she puts her mind to any craft she dives into, she become so immersed in it that she like she'll make anyone feel ashamed for even <laughs> dabbling into it i'm not oh even God. fucking kidding Sorry, <laughs> Leslie, but this is why i'm introducing you and you're not introducing yourself yeah wow <laughs> i mean this is serious oh God. <laughs> like seriously i'm like i'm not i can't even overstate how talented leslie is uh-huh. i I've known Leslie for, actually, it's crazy to say this, Leslie, but like pretty much exactly 10 years Wow! this week because oh. Leslie was my now husband's roommate when we started dating and we started dating exactly 10 years ago. Wow. So, and I remember, I don't know if you dabbled with quilts before, but I do remember it feeling like you were like really starting to immerse yourself mm-hmm. in quilts at the mm-hmm. time when I first met you and also at the time Leslie was an avid bug collector insects yeah insects okay sorry (laughs) collections were so goddamn beautiful like even me who I'm I'm so irked out by insects like I was like floored by how incredible her I don't know the way it was like museum quality the way she like put these insects together. Um, so anyways, I like, I literally have so many notes about how amazing Leslie is, but I'm not going to like continue to embarrass you by going into it, uh-huh. but she's just super passionate. She's super opinionated and stubborn. Mm-hmm. So I was like, why am I doing this by bringing her into this conversation? Like I was a little scared to be honest. <laughs> so, <laughs> no further introduction. Here's Leslie. Yeah, yeah Leslie. T- so, Leslie, I don't even know how you follow that introduction I... <laughs> with your actual self, but uh, good luck. So just tell us, 
Tell us a little bit about you. We we get it. You're like really brilliant. You know <laughs> oh a lot gosh. about quilts. Uh, <laughs> honestly, Danny, I don't know if I should be like honored or embarrassed. I think it's like both. Probably Somewhere more leaning on the embarrassed side. But um, <laughs> I'm sorry. But it's really great to be here. And thanks, Amanda, for having me. Um, well, I guess. Okay, a little about myself. I'll I'll probably start where I started quilting because that's what matters. Um, mm-hmm. I was in college and it was my last semester. I needed one more elective. I was a fibers major at SCAD. And I w- looked at the class classes that were offered and there was a quilting class. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a quilting class. Um, the class was taught by Pam Wiley, who's like such an incredible quilter and person. Anyone who knows her just falls in love. And so I took the class and it was one of those things where you are immediately drawn to it. And like, you know that it's something that's gonna be like a part of your life forever. Um, I feel like a lot of people have that about different things. For me, it was quilting. Mm -hmm. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people feel that way about quilting. Like a lot of people have an immediate connection to it. Sometimes it comes from families. Sometimes it's just like on your own, like me. Um, But I quilted, I I like took quilting with me. I moved to New York. I moved back to, I moved down to Philly. And um, it was mostly just like a hobby for me. And then at one point, the owner of BDDW, uh, Tyler Hayes, bought one of my quilts and hung it in the showroom in New York. And that was kind of like the start of like doing commissions and uh that that kind of turned it from like more of a hobby into something more not too much more because I've always had a day job mm-hmm. but um I'm also part of a group of quilters called Peacework Collective and it's just a group from like around the world really and we were showing uh in New York every year we haven't done it for the past couple of years hopefully we'll get back into it but that's a really really cool group um and I'm also a woodworker. That's what I do as my day job. <laughs> wow. But, um, yeah, I I started taking quilting classes in Philly uh, 10 years ago. And then at a certain point, I went to Boston to a school called North Bennett Street School, which is like a really, really amazing vocational school. They have class, they have like different programs like violin making, piano technology, preservation carpentry, locksmithing. And I was in the Uh, cabinet and furniture making program and they really focused on like technique and skill and it was more about like learning the actual like craft and like of woodworking than Mm -hmm. designing which is like how a lot of other skills are and we we drew a lot from um like historical pieces of furniture so like it was very like period furniture heavy and we like would take them apart and look at them and it, it was just it was really really cool and I think like I definitely became obsessed with like antiques at that point because I was like into like immersed in the antique furniture world and I was also looking at antique quilts a lot. I love antique quilts. I love all quilts to be honest. I love old quilts, new quilts. I love all people that quilt. I love talking about (laughs) quilts. I'm like super, (laughs) super obsessed. In fact, like, if there's any word to, like, describe, like, who I am, it would be, like, obsessive and, like, a perfectionist and, like, I'm, like, really craftsmanship heavy. I mean, like, I know that's not everybody's cup of tea, but for me, it's just, like, fun to, like, push myself to that, like, 
point of like trying to get it like perfect. Um, it's obsessive, but, <laughs> but it's fun. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's pretty much, that's me. Well, so I thought we could get started by talking about our initial reactions to the video and how our opinions may or may not have changed as we thought about it. I mean, we're going to be talking about this video an awful lot today, so we'll probably change our opinions even as we're talking. Um, I thought I would start by saying, you know, like the first time I received the video, I was like, oh, you know, I'm glad somebody's finally talking about this. Like at first I was like, this is great because... I'm not an expert on quilting by any means. Uh, I don't even have any members of my family who quilt, but I know that it is an art form. It is. It requires a great deal of skill and time. And, you know, it's it's traditionally been a craft for women. And, it's, and as a result, it's kind of been, I don't know, ignored, not given the credit it deserves. And I feel mm -hmm. like we're finally there where that's happening. And mm -hmm. so once again, not an expert on quilts. But I would sometimes see quilts that were being cut up mm -hmm. or being sold to be cut up that, once again, not an expert, looked like they might be too nice mm -hmm. or too important, too perfect to cut up. And that was concerning to me. At the same time, go to the thrift store, constantly seeing quilts that are stained or weird sizes or not all of it's great, but part of it is that are going to end up in the landfill if someone doesn't use them. So I've, I've always been like really torn about it, but ultimately glad that stuff was being rescued from the landfill. But as I watched this video, I became more and more inflamed <laughs> as I watched it. Uh, just, just, you know, we're going to break down all the reasons that were concerning to me, but ultimately it, like, like uh, Danny said, it took on a sort of mean girl's energy uh, where it was like showing the pictures of the so-called dumb clothing mm -hmm. and that felt really personal and nasty without shielding yeah. a lot of the faces too yeah the really faces upsetting. were totally. in there and and that that was like against that goes against everything i believe in i i like to think that the makers community the quilt community the sustainability community slow fashion community we we are all heavily intersecting Venn diagrams. Mm -hmm. And so I really would like to think that we would all be there to have each other's back. And that part, even before she started talking about just going to Target and getting your fake quilt clothes, I was just <laughs> like, now I'm upset. Now I'm upset, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that was my journey with it. Uh, Danny, do you have any more to add before we get Leslie's take? Not really. I feel like I kind of introduced it a lot when I – first started my spiel about why I thought we should do an episode on this. Um, but just to kind of echo what you said, it just was like, I felt like her opinion was getting, it was more about her opinion and her soapbox preaching and mm -hmm. felt very, the word that I saw in so many comments was the gatekeeping mm -hmm. aspect mm -hmm. of it. And, um, yeah, it just felt it felt preachy and it felt unnecessarily cruel. And that was the thing that really I felt like, like I said, was doing a disservice to the message. And I was like, I would love to actually hear the perspective of someone who isn't so nasty, <laughs> you know? And um, because I did think that the there there needed to be the voice of the quilt community heard on this and um, 
Yeah, so that's kind of what what bothered me a lot about it. I mean, we're going to talk more about like the appropriation aspects of it and all those sorts of things. But um, yeah, I, I would say kind of echoing everything you said, Amanda. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so- and yeah, I'll, I'll talk about what happened when I watched it. I actually had an experience um, before I watched the video. <laughs> I, <laughs> I will admit that I fell victim to the clickbait. And mm-hmm. which, by the way, um, the title, I just want to point this out. The title of the video is, let me say, it's Stop Cutting Up Quilts to Make Clothes. That's the official title okay. of the video. Okay. okay. The Quilt Clothes Must Die is just like a black box of like clickbait. You know what I mean? Did you see yes. the video posted before the Instagram, though? Like, did you see it in YouTube or did you see no, it from Instagram? No, I saw it from Instagram and I know, I, I know the name Mary Fonz, but I didn't like, you know, I don't follow her. I don't know her. Um, but it actually appeared in my like suggested uh, screen. Hmm. And so I saw the Quilt Clothes Must Die and I clicked on it. And before I watched the video, I shared it to my stories. Hmm. And I said something like, um, gearing up to watch this or or something like mentally preparing to watch this. That's what I said. And the first response I got, oh my God, was from a very well-known, well-respected quilter who responded to me saying, you're wrong, and then unfollowed me. Oh, wow. And I, (laughs) I know. How? It's, um... And it was at that point that I was like, whew, this is going to be a divisive topic, like, for sure. And I even wrote to her and I was like, you know, like, willing to hear both sides. Like, I hadn't even thought of the other side. This is something that I think about often. Like, Mm -hmm. this wasn't like the first time I had heard about it. And she and she didn't respond to me. We ended up having a conversation later because I contacted her again. But yeah, it was just so that was kind of like the intro for me. Um, And then I also put it up on the TV and my boyfriend and I watched it there together, (laughs) which is very funny that you did that too, Danny with Jason. Um, And I gotta say, first time around, I agreed with almost everything she said, but scattered in there were moments of true cringe. Like, I hated (laughs) that she posted photos of people. Some of those people Mm -hmm. are my friends. Like, Mm -hmm. I did not like that at all. And especially saying, I can't stand when people say, I'm not naming names. It's like, but you are, you're just being so (laughs) passive aggressive. (laughs) Like, you're being so passive aggressive right now. Like, you're literally posting their photo, their work. Like, you're naming names. Yeah, yeah. Um, And... Obviously, like, comparing it to murder, I had a huge issue with that. Um, cultural appropriation, <laughs> I had a big issue with that. I mean, like, yeah, I had, there there were issues, but I truly, honestly, like, agreed with what she was saying. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to say that I told you guys this before, but I did have a real awakening because I watched the video again today. I had mm. the same feelings about it, but this this has probably literally never been said before, ever. I read the comments 
<laughs> which is like the dribble Oof. of the internet. And yeah. it changed my mind. It I like swayed me. But so. it did for me too. I felt like I was kind of like straddling the line of how mm -hmm. I felt about things. And then by reading all the comments, I didn't really read the comments on YouTube. I okay. was too scared to. Okay. But I went into the comments in Instagram. Okay. And that's where I read so many really beautiful, thoughtful points yeah. that mm -hmm. hadn't even dawned on me. And it made me like full on the quilt clothes must live side. Yeah. I'm not yeah. full with on. some exceptions. I'm not full on, but I am, yeah, yeah. I, I'm in a much different place. And, and I do want to say like, after having that experience of like changing my mind, it was, it was, I felt lighter. I felt liberated. I was like, what else? <laughs> can I change my mind about? I swear to God. Wow. I, was like, I was like, what else is there? And I was like trying to think and I, I couldn't think of anything, but it's funny because at the end of our Google doc that we have shared, uh -huh. I wrote in quotation marks, normalize changing your opinion when being presented with new information. Right. Cause that right. Was, you know, that's how I felt. I felt like my opinion was changed because I was mm -hmm. given all this other information. Yeah. Right, right. No, I agree. So I, I like Danny did not read the YouTube comments because the last time I did that, I saw someone talking about someone having cankles. This was a different video. And I was oh, like, God. this is a video about like how to, you know, like refinish a piece of furniture. Like what the <laughs> oh, fuck? So I am never, never going to read the YouTube comments again because apparently they're triggering even when we're talking about vintage furniture. So I instead <laughs> went to the Instagram comments, which to be fair, as a person who is on the internet, internet as a person who gets a lot of comments I am also anxious about reading Instagram comments but yeah. like Danny said there were some really good ones there like I mm -hmm. almost thought about reaching out to people and asking if I could read them on this episode and I was like you know what the listeners can go find these videos and mm -hmm. listen to them and the great news is the video is posted three fucking times <laughs> so you can watch you can have three sets of comments to watch so I wanted before we jump in I wanted to talk about that a little bit because like I too, had never heard of Mary Fonz before this. Um, what struck me immediately, it was that black box that said quilt clothes must die. And the fact that the video was posted three times in a row with that big black box really says something because you wouldn't need to do that unless you were trying to get as many people as possible mm -hmm. on your account, watching that video, lifting up that algorithm. Uh, so something that happens to me a lot uh, is that people accuse me on Instagram of posting clickbait. And I have a new policy, which is that if you call anything that I post as close horse clickbait, you are immediately blocked because that's just bullshit <laughs> nastiness. Um, and that is because the definition of clickbait, this comes from Miriam Webster, something designed to make readers want to click on a hyperlink especially when the link leads to content of dubious value or interest. Mm -hmm. So I know that the content I create, I've actually researched and worked really hard and it's thoughtful and it's not intended to get you to click on something because like I don't care if you do or not. Right. This felt like clickbait where it was like, I'm going to get you so fucking riled up. Mm -hmm. You're going to come on this video. You're going to follow Mary Fonts. You're going to leave comments. You're going to share it, send it, be pissed off. And this is going to make Mary Fonts famous. It just felt so gross to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, I felt that. A, I, there's one part of it that I did c consider, though, is that like as someone who 
works on the look of my Instagram meticulously, like to a fault where I'm like, I'm spending too much time on this. I'm like, <laughs> was she just trying to like even things out instead of having this one random post in the middle there? <laughs> but I don't know if that's like being too generous to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I, I mean, definitely, I will say, and we could talk about this more at the end. Uh, Mary Fonts has posted <clears throat> since this video, and she refuses to really directly acknowledge any flaws in the video. Yeah. Uh, she definitely is continuing to try to gaslight anybody who has an issue with it into believing that they're just wrong or misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. Which yeah. there's no misunderstanding here. Mm-hmm. Um, the, once again, the title is... At least that black screen is quilt clothes must die. It's really hard to get confused there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I felt like there was a lot of weird intent around c- creating this video in the first place. So Mary Fonz has a lot of issues with quilt clothing. That's what this video is about, obviously. But her big theme with it seems to be that it appropriates quilt culture. And I thought we could start by unpacking that. What is quilt culture? Uh, this is something I'm really going to defer to Leslie on, but mm-hmm. I would love to know who participates in quilt culture and how has it changed over time? Well, I really can I can I just start by talking about what what quilts are, um, mm-hmm. yeah. like the kind of quilts. I kind of want Please. people to like understand the like the vast scope of quilts like around the world and just the history it's not going to be that long but um, no educate us we're like we don't know stuff about quilts we want to (laughs) know all right well okay quilts quilts are three layers of fabric a top a bottom and they're sandwiched around some kind of middle which is like a batting it can be cotton or wool um it can be thick it can be thin but a quilt is three layers so it's a noun but it is also a verb because to quilt is to actually stitch or tie all of those layers together. So you can say like, I'm quilting right now. So that means that you're like literally like stitching, like to quilt is to stitch. Um, And then all there's so many different kinds of quilts. This is what I love about it so much. Like the, the sky is the limit and I encourage everybody to, to take up quilting. It's so much fun. Um, so there's something called whole cloth quilting, uh, which means that it's just like a single piece of fabric on the top. And within that whole cloth, you can have trapunto quilts, which have like, which you like fill with cotton. So it's like little mounds. Um, uh, there's wedding quilts, which are like traditionally white and it's mostly just stitching. These, these quilts are really just is where like the quilting shines. Um, And there's like, these quilts like come from different regions and they're noticeable from those areas. So like you can have like Welsh or Italian quilts and like they have like a beautiful like sheen of fabric and it's just a whole cloth quilt with like different patterns that are like specific to that region. Um, Most what time, most what we see are pieced quilts, which means there's like little pieces of fabric where it can be like hand or machine sewn together to make the design on top like everybody right now is doing nine patch quilting um Mm. nine Mm -hmm. patch piecing i should say so it's just nine squares pieced together 
Um, but there, there are encyclopedias of different blocks and, you know, blocks are just like the blocks that repeat on a quilt to make a pattern. And it's really cool to see these encyclopedias. There are so many, there are thousands. Um, and then you have like embroidered quilts. So, you know, your red work, which is my personal, like one of my personal mm. favorites. I absolutely love red work and like blue work. Um, that also gets into the scope of like signature quilts, which are like community quilts where people come together and like sign their names. And then a lot of times someone will like go over the signature and embroidery, um, applique quilts, love applique. Uh, this is like a, something that I don't know if this is true, but like, to me, I think of it as like a regional thing. Like we know of Hawaiian quilts. Those are, you know, um, women from Hawaii have, they take, it, it's a whole cloth background and then it's one piece of fabric that's cut, that's cut and appliqued, like as if it's like a snowflake, you know, that oh, wow. you would it's incredible. You would, like fold up a snowflake, like piece of paper, cut it out and then open it up. So those are so truly beautiful. incredible. They're, Whoa, I just Googled it. It's <laughs> stunning. Yeah. Oh. And, um, you know, there's Baltimore album quilts, but they're really super elaborate um, like floral and pictorial quilts from Baltimore. Um, and these can be like all different kinds of like geometric and abstract pictorial. Like there's just, there's just no limit to what you can do with that. And then there's like mixed kind of quilts. Like, you know, you got your crazy quilts, which are fun, just mm. kind of like improv patchwork. And then, you know, there's like a decorative embroidery. Um, so, and then after that, there's like, quilts of significance so like they commemorate different like human experiences like baby quilts mm. wedding quilts mourning quilts when people die um and th they're just like such a special and unique object and the reason that like i bring all of this up is because i feel i feel so strongly that quilters are like not only masters of their crafts, but they're like legit artists. You know, they create mm -hmm, like 3D mm -hmm. objects out of 2D designs and it involves so mm -hmm. many different like skills from design and color placement to handwork. And it should never be taken lightly the amount of like artistry and skill needed to create one, let alone, we're not even talking about time, which is like an unbelievable amount of time. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to start there to say that it's really important that if you think, like, even if you think it's okay to cut up a quilt to make clothes, which I actually do now, um, I <laughs> wow. still, now, I think it's okay, like, you know, and I think it's even good. I, I just want to make wow. sure that- This that's is huge, people. I can't understand yeah, guys. how huge this is. This is I, huge. I did not <laughs> see this coming at all. I just, I just don't want people to be, like, dismissive of the emotional, like, connection and historical value mm -hmm. and, like, 100%. the meaning of quilts and, like, just, just what they are to people. Like, that should be respected, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, Okay, history of quilts and then and then culture. Okay. Quilts were brought over to the Americas um, by settlers. And they kind of like spawned off from that direction. Women started making them. Um, Indian women started making them. We know of we know of Native Americans, like they're incredible with their crafts. You know, they have their beadwork and leather work. Mm -hmm. They're not really known for their quilts, but they do have some incredible like star patterns. Um, enslaved women were making quilts 
these quilts historically span so many cultures they span it spans continents i mean there's like japanese quilts there's there's so many mm. different kinds of quilts that it's like original place is with like everyone mm. and i really believe that nowadays um you know nowadays like if i'm being totally honest here like it feels like a white woman's yeah. thing now there are some like incredible black women like making like serious quilts that are like in galleries like some of the most famous quilters right now like are but um it feels like a white woman's thing and it feels very um uh, it's hard it's hard to like define it but like if you know what the modern quilt guild is it's like a national quilt guild that is just like mostly middle-aged white women which is fine which is fine but that kind of feels like where the culture is it kind of feels like that's where a lot of craft cultures can be like knitting mm -hmm. and stuff just because like to to do to make art to do things you need to have like a lot of time and sometimes unfortunately that kind of falls to white women who aren't like a, a degree of privilege absolutely. in many cases yeah a degree of yeah. privilege exactly that's what i'm trying sure. to say so so that is where it is it feels like quilt culture is like coming into like a new wave right now there's a lot of quilters from like around the world who are getting together because of social mm -hmm. media and people are doing like really interesting things no longer is it like like um stock colors from like fabric.com but people are like dyeing mm -hmm. their own fabrics and it's like a lot of we're moving away from machine quilting to like hand quilting it feels very mm -hmm. like soft um but but i don't want to put like any quilts down because i do love all of them and i love all quilters and i could talk <laughs> about quilts all day long <laughs> and never get tired of it um but yeah i think that's that's kind of where it stands at the moment. That was beautiful. From my point of view. Right. From my point of view. I loved it. It was very educational, which is what we needed. Because I, you know, Danny and I talked about doing a quilt episode. And I was like, I don't, I don't know anything about quilts. I think yeah. they're pretty. Mm -hmm. I know they take a long time. Right. I think they're really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad, I'm glad that you were able to give us the very abbreviated version of quilt history here. <laughs> Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Clothes Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. 
Check them out on Instagram at late to the party people. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. Let's get things started by saying, like, is quilt clothing appropriating quilt culture? And I thought, you know, it never hurts to do just a little breakdown of what cultural appropriation is, um, because I think it's something that we hear on the internet 
we see conversations about, sometimes those conversations are right and sometimes they're wrong. But what comes up over and over again is that a lot of people don't really understand what it is, but they know it's bad, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. I thought, Mm -hmm. rather than being like, I assume you all know about what cultural appropriation is, let's determine if we're culturally appropriating quilt culture, let's break it down. So I found an amazing article that I'm actually going to share in the show notes um, that I felt really broke down cultural appropriation in a very easy to understand way that wasn't jargon heavy and was just really approachable. So I'm going to be sharing that link in the show notes. I'm going to be stealing a lot from that article. Um, Cultural appropriation refers to the use of objects or elements of a non-dominant culture in a way that doesn't respect their original meaning, give credit to their source, or reinforces stereotypes or contributes to oppression. So cultural appropriation is a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not something to be t- taken lightly and it's certainly not something to be thrown out there in bad faith. When we talk about culture, what is a culture that's being appropriated here? Culture refers to anything associated with a group of people based on their ethnicity, religion, geography, or social environment. This might include beliefs, traditions, language, objects, ideas, behaviors, customs, values, or institutions. Appropriation refers to taking something that doesn't belong to you and most often refers to an exchange that happens when a dominant group takes or borrows something from a minority group that has been historically exploited or oppressed. It's important to call out that the group appropriating cultural elements often has no knowledge of the history or significance of the elements it's appropriating. Often these cultural elements are being used as part of a trend, so even their use is limited to the length of the trend, Mm. which just further reinforces the negative impact of cultural appropriation. Basically, cultural heritage should never be a trend story, and yet we know, we all have examples swimming in our minds Mm -hmm. right now of fashion trends, of decorative trends, of all kinds of trends that have been 100% short-lived and culturally appropriated. Mm -hmm. So where we see cultural appropriation happening the most, and guys jump in if you have some examples here that might illuminate people, uh, intellectual property, artifacts, dance, clothing and fashion, that's the one where I have seen it happen so Mm -hmm. often throughout my career. Uh, I remember specifically a collection of clothing we did at Nasty Gal when I was there that was complete knockoff of traditional Chinese dress. I said, hey, this seems Mm -hmm. wrong to me. Um, It was lifted from a runway show. I can't remember which designer who also was culturally appropriating with abandon. Um, And that was supposed to be our defense. Well, we didn't do it first. Like St. Laurent did it first or whoever it was. And then to take it to the next level, our marketing team did a photo shoot in Chinatown in LA with these clothes. I have searched the internet for evidence of this, but it has been long wiped. Of course, we we didn't get the kind of blowback that I had anticipated or hoped, but we did get some. Um, so that's one that I have experienced a lot. But there's also language, music, food, religious symbols, decorations, medicine, makeup, hairstyles, tattoos. Here's my personal favorite, wellness practices. Mm-hmm, that's a big one right the, now. <laughs> the, the goop of it all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's cultural appropriation happening in a lot of different areas of our lives right now. When you're trying to determine whether or not a project or an idea is cultural appropriation, there are questions you can ask yourself. 
I thought we could see how these apply to quilt clothing, okay? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the first is, as the quilt clothes maker, what is your goal with what you're doing? Mm. I mean, I would say probably, you know, to make, make, money. make money and I hope, like, you know, save things from the landfill, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Are you following a trend or exploring the history of a culture? So I'm going to say, and this is with hashtag not all quilt clothing makers, I do feel that probably a lot of them are not deeply entrenched in the knowledge of quilt history. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most of them are not even dabbling in it. <laughs> I have to yeah, say. Yeah, I, I may agree. <laughs> and this this is where you're like, okay, so I see a little bit of where Mar- what Mary Fonz is saying here. I mean, it's going to go off the rails in a few mm-hmm. minutes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we can all agree that quilt clothing has been a trend. Uh, yeah. For better yeah. or worse, upcycling is a trend. I want it to become a way of life. I would love to see this one stick around. Yeah. Quilt clothing would probably be a part of it. But so would be what Danny does, making clothing out of towels, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, people making yeah. dresses out of sheets. Uh, what Selena Sanders does with tea towels and other, you know, linens. Like, I would love to see that continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't want upcycling to be a passing trend. And therefore, I don't want quilt clothing to be a trend. But we can agree right. It's been it's very trendy. It's a, a think, real moment. It's very it saturated is, it is. right now. And it's, yeah. not, it's not even just yep. that quilt clothing is new at all. It's been around forever. As long as right, quilts right. have been around. But it's been like having a big moment in yes. fashion. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Both in mainstream yes. fashion and in our own like slow fashion area. And I actually... A friend of mine uh, owns a, a, an incredible quilt company, and one thing they do is they make quilt coats every fall. And she was telling me, like, you know, the peak of it really for them was about 2019, 2020, mm-hmm. and it has it has slowly kind of fallen off. So I do wonder if there's a trend component to this. I mean, we know there is, but could it become a lifelong trend and just a way of life? I don't know. It's definitely something that's on my mind, especially Mm -hmm. because, you know, as Mary Fonz brings up, you can go to Target, not right now, but you could a few months ago, and get quilt-inspired clothing. I saw it. I was shocked Mm -hmm. uh, how how extensive it was and how inexpensive it was. Mm -hmm. So here's the next question. Are you deliberately trying to insult someone's culture or are you being respectful? I, mean, I don't think I, anyone is is deliberately trying no. to insult someone like the quilt makers. I, no, no, I don't think so either. Um, are you purchasing something that is a reproduction of a culture or an original? This is a reworking. That's a muddy a, one item. because I feel like I've yeah. actually seen some quilt like coat makers making quilt coats out of urban out like a quilt that I had in my dorm from Urban Outfitters. <laughs> oh my God. And I'm like, you know what? That's interesting. That is really funny. Is that okay? okay? Yeah. Or you know what I mean? It was just like, huh. This is, this so is just that interesting to think about. You just unlocked a memory for me of a quilt that I bought from, yes, Urban Outfitters at least 10 years ago. It was totally like, it was really quilted, right? And it was really patchwork and it was really beautiful, but it was like the Urban Outfitters version of it, which means it was made of like horrible fabric. And every time I washed it, it pulled apart more and I was just mending it and mending it and mm-hmm. mending it. We still have it somewhere in this house, but it's it's been around for so long and patched so many times that it's now something we wrap mirrors in to move. Um, you know, like it's like it can't be salvaged mm-hmm. or washed anymore. 
Well, that's actually a good point that you bring up because a lot of like antique and vintage quilts are, are, they're so old at this point. Like all fabric has a life. Like, yeah. Everything will just deteriorate. Yeah. And if you are planning on like washing that, like it, it will fall apart. Like it actually will fall yeah. apart, at least like the quilt part. Yeah. Of right, it. right. So it's interesting to think about the quilt clothes too in that regard, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, um, okay. How would people from the culture you are borrowing an item from feel about what you're doing? Well, I can tell you, like I said, went deep into the comments on Mary Fawn's video. And I would say, Mm -hmm. you can tell me if you saw otherwise. I would say 75% of them were like, what the fuck, Mary Fawn's? Like, do you want quilts to go in the landfill? But there were people there who were like, good on you. I've been thinking this for a long time. And it makes me really angry. And, you know, we should be treasuring Mm -hmm. every quilt ever as an art, you know, as an artifact of the past. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a mixed bag. I was definitely seeing. And it also depends on. Where, where you were reading the comments because I had a lot of comments on yep. my post. I know some actual quilt upcyclers had a lot of comments on their posts. And, you know, a lot of them, most of the ones, on, I mean, maybe even all of the ones on mine were in defense of the quilt clothing makers. Whereas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on Mary Fonz's post, of course, actually, I feel like if you look in the order of the posts, like the first, like, you know, 50 comments are all in defense of her point. And then mm-hmm. you start to see that all the so cyclers come in. Yeah. You know, I was just reading a book about all kinds of different things. But one of the things it talked about was like comment mm-hmm. sections and how and how in the beginning, the people who are seeing it are the people that are right. following that person who probably have the same beliefs. So like, that's how the mm-hmm. comments yeah, work. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But, but yes, they, I, I will say I went through the YouTube comments and most of them were against what she was saying. Although I do have obviously like a lot of friends that are very, very strongly opinionated mm-hmm. about this. I will say this. I am always, especially in my old age, very suspicious of anything that is very straight black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, this is 100% mm-hmm. wrong. This is 100% right. So I, seeing the video, I was like, this is like, there. this doesn't allow for any gray area in this issue, this video. No, no. And neither did the comment section. <laughs> I'll just say that. Like, so, you know... I could listen. If you make a quilt and you spend, I can't. Even, Leslie, how long does it take to make a quilt? Like a like a nice quilt. Well, it it totally depends. Like one quilt I made, it literally took me a year to make, and I had Oof. I had a after I finished that quilt, I I literally had like a euphoric moment where I thought that I was God, and I kind of like <laughs> e- I I equate that to like. <laughs> a woman giving birth except like i spent more time on this and that's amazing yeah and labored and the labor was uh, more intense what you say but <laughs> yes like i i really had that feeling so like and and you know some some quilts take like years and years and years but most people spend like a couple of months on a quilt like working diligently i mean even if i spent three four five months making a quilt mm-hmm. and then i saw it cut up and turned into a pair of pants and a crop top i would most definitely lose my shit but the reality is that is probably not is what is happening with these clothes right, right. Like these are quilts that i mean once again i don't know how all of these quilts are being sourced but from what i can tell they're being found at yard sales thrift stores estate sales like no one wanted them anymore right so one would assume that the original maker 
is no longer around. You never really know that. I I have to say, you don't know that. Like someone could have died and now there's quilts at their house that like get left behind. Like you, you don't really know that. And also just because they're like on eBay doesn't mean that they were like not wanted. I think that most of these quilts that are made, I mean, it's true different quilts hurt differently when you see them. Some of them are like very standard, like um, the patterns that someone just like, you know, got from like a pattern book and was using them. Mm-hmm. But there are some that are like so unique and like it it just honestly like fucking pains me to see that. And what I would hope is that the people who are cutting these up just like are aware of what is unique mm-hmm. and rare and and mm-hmm. I think, like, there are things you can do. Like, now quilts are so popular. Like, if there is a little thing wrong with it, like, mend it and then sell it as a yeah. quilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, sell and it as back a quilt. to your point about, like, eBay, you don't know whether it's, like, you know, where it came from or what have you. Like, another aspect of that is mm-hmm. that, like, you know, like, I try and draw a line. Even, you know, I'm using towels, not quilts. But I try mm-hmm. really hard to resist the urge to get into a bidding war on eBay. And Mm. I don't know how this is happening in the quilt world, but you never know. Somebody could be on one side of that bidding war who genuinely wants to put it on their bed, who wants to hang it in there. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so you don't really know, especially with the rise Mm -hmm. of popularity with quilts. Like you don't, even if you go to an estate sale, you could be like first in line at the estate sale because you know they have a stack of quilts and your intention mm-hmm. is to sell them to people to make coats out of. This is just a hypothetical yeah. example. Whereas somebody else could have come in there and have bought it. Obviously, there are so many different situations and it, it's, it is like you said, it's not black and white. It's really hard to draw a line. No. And one thing that does... Like as an upcycler that I have a really tough time with is I now have this business and my livelihood depends on making clothes out of towels. And so Mm -hmm. I do have like kind of a, a struggle sometimes to determine like, do I need to do this for my business, for my survival, or do I pass this up because somebody else might actually use it for its original purpose and it is in good condition and can be still used as a towel. And so it is tough. Mm -hmm. I can see the challenge with people who have become embedded in this coat quilt coat making world that they can't really make that call anymore because this is what they do. And, and so that's really tough. Like I can genuinely say from the perspective of someone who makes clothing out of a specific raw material that like you know I'm not just I can't just go anywhere and find any random raw material and make something out of it because I've created a brand with an aesthetic and people want something Mm -hmm. specific Mm -hmm. from me now so you know what I'm saying like it's it's really hard to be in that position and to be that discerning and, and what's your alternative? You'll take that quilt home and find someone else who wants it. Like, that's another job to find yeah. someone else who will yeah. do right. something with that quilt. I know we're kind of going off topic. Yeah, I know. We are. We are. Thing, yeah. But it just, 
But know. I mean, I think th- I think that that is a valid point when you were talking about eBay and the bidding and like you don't know the other person's yeah. intentions or really anywhere you go. That really struck a chord with me because for about a year and a half straight, I was trying to find us a quilt for our bed. Mm. And I just I just couldn't find every time I'd be like, this is the one it would end up going yeah. for some crazy amount of money. And honestly, I just assumed everybody was buying them for their beds and they wanted them so badly they were going to give them years of life and be cozy under them. But now I'm like, oh, you're probably right. Some of yeah. those are being bought to turn into quilt coats. And I've heard, I mean, just like any trend can lead to some hoarding. Uh, I've heard stories of people who have 12, 20 quilt coats now. And you're like, what? Yeah, that's, you know, like those, wild. that's, that's yeah. extreme, right? And so once again, like, as we're talking about, should quilt clothes die? Should they not? Uh there's never a simple answer to anything because, yeah, probably consumption of quilts in, as clothing has gotten out of mm. control. Mm-hmm. Probably some people have cut them up that shouldn't have because they didn't maybe make the best use of these valuable raw materials. At the same time, plenty of them were going to go to the landfill because, like, I would see lesser quality quilts or quilts that needed major stain removal or repairs or are weird sizes at thrift stores all the time. And I would hope that someone bought those and used them. But then I would see stunning quilts on eBay that were flawless and just going for like $300. And I would be like, I hope that's going on someone's bed. So it's, it's, it's complicated, right? Like everything that we talk about, there's no straightforward, clear, like this is right. This is wrong answer. It's just, Stuff is complicated. I have a quick interjection slash question. Leslie, Amanda and I have both used the term raw materials while talking about quilts. Does that pain you? It doesn't because I understand what you're saying. Fair. But do do you know what I mean? Like I it you know, I'm I'm not I'm not offended. Like I I get what you're talking about as a raw material. Um I want to interject and say to clarify, I actually love quilt clothes. <laughs> like I do. And <laughs> and it you know, it it it's disturbing when I see quilts that are like super rare. Um that hurts, but I do love them because I love quilts yeah. and so yeah. of course I would love them like seeing them right. in any form. Um so that was that was one thing I hated about Mary's video. Yeah. But you you guys both touched on that <laughs> right. as well, but I just wanted to also say Yeah, because that. she's really it that's a really good point because by criticizing the clothing, it's like it's a little bit confusing because she's saying like dumb pants and like criticizing the jumpsuits <laughs> or whatever. But the really offensive thing is that it, it it's I just can't figure it out because you either are criticizing the quilt or you're criticizing the design of the jumpsuit, in which case it has nothing to do with the quilt. You're just criticizing the designer mm-hmm. and the silhouette that they've created. So I think see? I think she's just so offended by the practice yeah. that to her <laughs> seeing the quilt as that thing is like yeah, dumb and yeah, fair. ugly or something. Right, but, right. Yeah. We tend to think, okay, well, Mary Fawns is like a journalist in the area of quilts, right? So we assume that this video is this journalistic document with tons of integrity. And in fact, it's really just not. It's just a rant and a lot of bad feelings Mm -hmm. and feeling upset and getting something off your chest. And perhaps it is a burden to be Mary Fawns the journalist and not be able to express the feelings boldly of Mary Fawns the person. And 
here's kind of where she is, right? Because like people look to her as this person who's like an expert on quilting, um, who is now out there saying that jumpsuit is dumb and quilt clothes must die, which is not none of that is journalistic. It's not even handed. To mm-hmm. add to that, she the facts about it right. were murky. You she know, she did. She this is the part that really, really upset me was that she actually interviewed some of these upcyclers, these you know, folks making clothing out of quilts under, I'm not going to say under the guise of it being for what's the magazine quilt folk or quilt something quilt con. Um, because she was, she, she interviewed them for this article that she wrote that also came out, Mm. I believe around the same time that the video came out. And if I read that Mm. article without having seen the video, I, you know that you can you can sense some of the tone because once you've seen the video, mm-hmm. but it's a much more fair article. So hmm. it's real. I just am very confused about what her angle was, like what she was going for with this, other than just to get attention. Um, because she the 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 lack of journalistic integrity that she presented by interviewing these people and then using their words to bash them like she i don't know if you noticed but yeah, there are like yeah. little parts where she does these like voiceovers that mm-hmm. make it sound like she's in it's a podcast interview but really it's her voice i didn't realize that that i didn't realize that that was from an article that was from that, that was from some i saw someone i follow on instagram post that those were her words that she used oh, to no. mock them that's fucked oh, that is wow fucked. you're right no there was i mean i I didn't read the article until after mm-hmm. I'd seen the video. So obviously my take on it right. is colored, but I felt that her feelings were in that article. Maybe they were a little right. subdued, but I could That's read I between the too. lines. It felt to me. I mean, journalism isn't something you just get into. Like you have to study it and practice it because you don't just go to get to go to work every day and type up how you feel and that's the news, right? And so – I'm not a journalist because I have too many feelings and I don't know how to keep them inside. (laughs) I suspect that maybe it's not the right career path for Mary Fonz either. And she should instead be a person who gives TED Talks about quilt. So going back to the appropriation, we have a few more questions here. Are there any stereotypes involved in what you're doing? I would say no, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, are you using a sacred item in a flippant or fun way? Like wearing a headdress to Coachella. Is turning quilts into clothing a flippant or fun use of them? Uh, when you compare it to a headdress, like no. Because that is a <laughs> that is like a truly, you know. Sacred ceremonial. Sacred ceremonial right, object. Right. Right. And, and as much as I love quilts, that is not what it is. Right. I mean, I think, you know, I'm spoiler here. I feel like perhaps the the assertion that uh, quilt clothes appropriate quilt culture is a little bit of a yeah. overstatement. But uh, we have oh. a few more questions here. Okay. Okay. Are you borrowing something from an ancient culture and pretending that it is new? There's, I think, okay, not, quilting has been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it is fair that someone's taking this like long art form that's been around for a long time and sewing it into contemporary clothing. Like I could see, I could see that that could be offensive to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you have any, anyone, anyone have any feelings there? 
No, I, I agree. Um, I don't know if people are really like pretending that it's new, mm -hmm. but they're certainly not giving like any credit to the original like maker. Right. Um, and just right. kind of like acting like it was their idea, like this design. I mean, I, the, the real like designer of the piece is the quilter, yes. in my yes. opinion. You know, Completely. it's the color, it's the design. Yeah. I, mean, I, I can't say I completely um, agree with that, but I very much agree <laughs> that that's like a huge part of it. And to be honest, like I remember uh, like a year ago, um, Diet Prada wrote about how some guy created this line that basically they were saying was just totally duplicative of everything Bodie had done. And they oh, were yeah, saying like, them. oh, this like pretty white boy comes on the scene and all of a sudden like Vogue writes about them. And they were going on and on about this. And I was like, I commented about the fact that like, how are we praising these designers and no one's praising the artisans who made the quilts originally? Mm -hmm. And, but that's right, where I do right. feel like, and it was something you said earlier, Amanda, I think where I, about the like respect for the origin, I do feel like, a, like there are many upcyclers who do really respect the craft of the quilts and mm -hmm, talk about mm -hmm. the history of them and that sort of thing. And I feel like now there's a lot who don't, but the, a lot of the ones who have been around for a while are very aware and conscious of the history. I mean, I don't know because I don't really know yeah. the history myself, like above mm -hmm. what Leslie just told us. But mm -hmm. um, I do know that a lot of them are, you know, really thoughtful about it. So, but in the scheme of how many people are making clothes out of quilts, I don't know what percentage do really care. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think that there are all these, which we're going to get into this term, they're not all these, like, rampant quilt murderers out there uh, operating with abandon. I just <laughs> think, like, they wouldn't be making stuff out of quilts if they didn't think quilts yeah. were cool True. and beautiful yeah. and great to look at and really inspiring. Like, I, I know that there is an appreciation for quilts there. They're not just slicing them up because they're, like, Soci psychopaths right. or something like they're just you know like they're like I these are really yeah. beautiful I would like to wear this on my body I would like someone else to wear this on their body and so I don't think that everybody's out there like deciding to just dismantle quilt culture mm -hmm. uh, for fun um, but that does come to the next question which we just touched on are you crediting the source or inspiration of what you're doing and probably not right in most like, cases can they I know? have a hard time like, do they know Right. right. I don't exactly, exactly. Unless you said, Hey, you, could you go ahead and make me a quilt real quick? I'll come back in three to six months and I'm going to cut it up and then you'll get credit for it. Like, that's the only way that yeah. that would really work. Right. Mm -hmm. um, if a person of the original culture, i.e., the quilt culture here, were to do what you are doing, would they be viewed as cool or could they possibly face discrimination? I thought that was a really interesting question. Like, if someone in someone highly respected in the quilt community decided to start cutting up other quilts and turn them into clothing, what would happen to them? I think it would be the same thing where just a lot of people were really happy and love what they did. And a lot of people, I mean, are they cutting up their, their own quilts or are they cutting up old quilts? I agree. There's, there's um, degrees uh, there, right? If it's their own quilt, great. Good for you. Yeah. If it was like they bought a, that quilt from you that you spent a year on and then turned it into a pantsuit. Yeah. 
I mean, that just wouldn't happen, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, that wouldn't happen in the first place. Are you ignoring the cultural significance of something in favor of following a trend? Like we said, quilt clothing is trendy. Mm-hmm. Do we think that people are not valuing Well, that's kind of what I was just saying, itself? too, is that, like, I think that some people probably have, you know, some disregard for the history of the quilt and are just making it because it's cool. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Right. But yeah, I also definitely, definitely yeah. think that there are people who have very high regard for the quilt itself and perhaps do some research on what that style of quilt is, et cetera, et cetera. So not black and white. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's a complicated yeah. issue, right? I mean, I think, like I said, I have a lot of problems with Mary Fawn's video and the way she discussed it and the mean girl's tone to it. But immediately – I had a feeling I wasn't going to be super into it because it was taking such mm-hmm. a black and white stance on the whole thing. And that like people who make quilt clothes are these villains, these like Neanderthals who don't give a fuck about history or art or craft. They just want to make money and sell clothes and be trendy. They're like the forever 21 of textiles. Mm-hmm. And that's just not, yeah, that's like just she, not true. Didn't she have like know? a whole part about like, like capitalism and so, I don't know. It was just, it went off. As if there's not capitalism yeah. involved in quilting. I mean, you know, right. it's everywhere it's we go, right? It's the culture we live in. Um, and one last yeah. thing about this, like I, I just wanted to say that no matter like how true of a, like no matter how, what what is the, what is the phrase I'm trying to think of right now? No matter how true it is, whether it is, like some kind of appropriation Mm. it doesn't look good when a white woman is kind of (laughs) ranting on screen and then talks about cultural appropriation that was kind of my bottom line can i say how grateful i am that someone said that because i didn't want to be the one to say it so i'm glad that was the thank you leslie for going there that's okay i kept coming back i almost typed that in our notes like 27 times and so I'm glad someone just said it. Okay, so I know that Danny has a follow-up on this one. And what is this? Yes, because not just any white woman, but a white woman who has designed a line of quilting fabric that directly culturally appropriates what? many cultures. And I didn't even know about this until Jade of Fashion Without Trashin posted a video everyone should watch on her Instagram not too long ago, at this point, it's about a week ago, where she recites the names of some of the quilt, uh, some of the fabrics that oh, I'm looking Mary that up Fons now has designed, and the names of these fabrics are oh, no. incredibly. I didn't offensive. see that. Th- so that's where it's yeah. like, I th- yeah, girl. yeah. I like, think maybe okay. I just searched Mary Fawn's quilting fabric, and it brought me to. I'd Etsy listing for something called Mary Fawn's Chinaman Springs fabric. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, not good. And you know, it's when someone when someone does something the like hypocrisy that, it's really just, just like an embarrassment for like all white women, at least people who are a little bit more like aware, like self aware. Like please, if you're gonna go ranting, like there has to be some kind of like self awareness of what you're saying. Yes, like you're putting this Checks out and there. Yeah. It's, it's bad. I did wonder, had 
did Mary Fonz show this video to any of her friends yeah. before she posted it? Because, like, this is one of those things where you're like, is this too hot of a take? Let me ask my friends, right? It, it felt like maybe, you know, there should have been some checks and balances there. I just, yeah. for future reference, yeah. I will say, I'm sure that this has been a nightmare for Mary Fonz on a variety of levels. I get anxiety just thinking about her notifications blowing up. But I also see the way she is completely unapologetic and unwilling to discuss mm-hmm. this truly. I like now, like in you know, yeah. she said something about maybe having a panel conversation or something, and people were like, "Yeah, that's not enough, dude." Like, actually talk to people with different opinions, you know. Mm-hmm. So, okay, uh. Can we say that quilt Kurt culture is being appropriated or not? Anyone? I, yeah, Leslie. I, Leslie. You know, I mean, <laughs> to to some degree, maybe. You know, um, it's. I just it, feel like maybe appropriation it's, it's isn't the right word. It, it's not because at this point, like appropriation is really loaded, and it it, it just doesn't feel right to, co- to compare it to like quilt like a quilt community i don't know just to me it feels wrong do i think that people are using quilts like i think mary even said that like do i think people are like using really nice quilts to like for for something that could be like a fleeting trend that's bad but Mm -hmm. um yeah that's been my worry my worry has always been yeah. You know, one of my first reactions to that video is like, what if everybody hides away their quilt clothes and never wears Let them? Let me again? ask you something. Have you have you guys seen people wearing because you, I I haven't. I live in Philly. I don't know, maybe I just miss it, but I don't see people wearing quilt clothes and you know there are so many uh, like <laughs> pieces out there. Yeah. Do you guys? Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, I did see someone wearing a quilt jacket in Austin like a week ago, but that I just assumed it's because all of us were too broke to afford quilt clothes. That's why I wasn't seeing them, hmm. you know, because they're expensive, right? Like there was a time two years yeah, ago where I was yeah. like, I really wish I had a quilt coat. Oh my God, I wish I had a quilt coat. I would look so cute. And I was like, I don't have $500. I don't even have a job. See, I think that they're too much of Mm -hmm. statement pieces for people to want to wear them more, more than a few times, which, which is why I feel scary. scary. And, and that's like my biggest problem. That depends on the person. Okay. Cause I have some statement clothes that I've had for like literally 10 15 years that are still yeah, my you're favorite like freaking things in my closet oh yeah um, i exclusively wear s- statement clothes yeah yeah <laughs> okay uh, okay so you're talking to the two wrong people about that because i like everything's a look yeah yeah but that's a totally yeah. fair point because we right, know that right. we're not like yeah. most people and in, in terms of the way we dress yeah i know you know when i originally was seeing quilt clothes starting to come up like 2019 20 early 2020 I because I maybe always want to believe the good in every person. I believed that the people who were spending three, four, five, six hundred dollars on a quilt coat were doing it with this intention that not only would they wear it for the rest of their lives, they would pass it down to their Aww. children. And I, I, I loved that, that. Yeah. right? That's amazing. <laughs> like that to me is the best use of quilts right. outside of being on your bed keeping you warm, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, this is beautiful like if I spent $500 on a quilt coat you know I would be wearing it forever Mm -hmm. and passing it on to my daughter and my grandchildren and all and so 
I wanted to believe that. But at the same time, we know that people love to overconsume. And while we might think that a $500 coat is too expensive to buy on a whim and never wear, there are others out there who would disagree. You know, mm-hmm. not like they would literally mm-hmm. disagree to your face, but their behavior would show that they disagree, right? right? And right. so I that is something that concerns me. I would be devastated to go to the Goodwill next week and see a quilt coat there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Right? Yeah. Right? I mean, I just, I don't want people to throw that stuff out. And I hope that the people who, because I, do, I will say this, listen, people are making clothes out of quilts. They wouldn't be making clothes out of quilts if there was an appetite for it, right? Like, Someone would make a quilt coat. No one would buy it. That would be the end. But people are buying these coats. And so if we're going to be upset about quilt clothing existing, the makers are only 50% of that equation. Mm -hmm. The people who are buying it Mm -hmm. and then possibly not wearing it are just as much of a problem there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You said that that very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you you mentioned about somebody who – like you know that they bought like twenty or so. I am just gonna like that. Yeah, is insanity. I'm just gonna say someone in our community sells quilt coats, and she reached out to me to tell me how I want to say it was Psychic Outlaw. It was one of the big quilt ma- clothes makers reached out to her and said, "Hey, has this person ever bought any quilt coats from you? Because they've been buying so many from me and other quilt clothes makers that we think they're secretly a buyer trying to fill a store." Hmm. And I was like what like tell me more and she was telling me about it and this person was buying six seven eight quilt coats from each maker there were about half a dozen makers uh they weren't buying them to resell they were buying them for themselves (laughs) and their children yeah that that's that's gross (laughs) i mean right that (laughs) but also at the same time it's like I'd rather them do that than overconsume stuff from yeah. Target. Oh no, I agree. I agree. Right, benefiting a small mm-hmm. business, you know, like helping a small business grow. Yeah, totally, I'll, I agree. Yes, if they're going to overconsume and spend all their money like, like to this extreme degree, I really feel that this person has a shopping addiction. <laughs> but at least they weren't buying stuff from Target yeah. or you know Anthropology or something. Yeah. But it's still, right. it still was like, oof, you know, like are those coats yeah. going to be worn? a ton and have this long important life i don't know are they going to end up at her estate sale someday and then like future dannys of the world are going to buy them you know oh danny and your estate sales (laughs) 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 so i mean once again like there's no clear black and white answer Mm -hmm. here it's all so complicated but it's the success the rise of quilt clothes is actually part of a larger system Mm -hmm. that isn't just these horrible makers who don't respect quilts, who laugh as they stab them and <laughs> rip them up and, you know, take videos just for their own satisfaction to watch later and get off. That's, like, not happening. <laughs> Do we think, would we call this quilt murder? <laughs> Ugh. I, no. Just I, no. I'm sorry. I cannot stand. When she said that, I was like, I mean, like, people get actually murdered. And now you're talking yeah. about this right. is – that was a huge sticking point for me. Once again, yeah. did Mary Fonz show this video to a friend beforehand? Because that was something that really resonated with me where I was like, wow, like you're acting like Fox News right now where you're just saying really extreme things. Yeah. And my hope was like not everyone was going to buy into it. And I'm relieved to see that there was actual pushback. Yeah. So right. another word, Danny already brought this up. 
uh, earlier in our conversation. This is a word that comes off up often in many different situations, but especially in reference to the Mary Fonz video is gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I found a great definition on Urban Dictionary where you get all of the best definitions <laughs> that really solidifies the meaning of gatekeeping in this scenario. When someone takes it upon themselves to decide who does or does not have access or rights to a community or identity. And I... I don't know about the two of you, but I have experienced gatekeeping, witnessed it, been on the other side of it in a variety of ways in my life, specific music genres and scenes like punk or hip hop, aesthetics. Like even as a teenager, there was always that jerk who called you a poser for wearing brand new Doc Martens. And you were like, I worked Mm -hmm. a year to save the money to buy these. Like, I'm not fake. I really wanted these, you know. Uh, There's always that kind of thing with activism, hobbies, crafts. I witnessed a ton of gatekeeping in Portland back when the Women's March there was starting to happen. There was this Facebook group for the Women's March that was literally a toxic cesspool of just really nasty behavior. And there was a lot of ageism that was being used to keep Mm -hmm. older women from joining the march. And it was just so discouraging. I didn't see that, to be honest. In in Portland, it was bad. And I thought it was just a Portland thing. But then I talked to a friend who lived in the Bay Area. And she was like, oh, I thought you were describing the Oakland chapter she's like honestly it was like the same thing um so i've seen a lot of gatekeeping out there in a variety of different ways uh i don't know if any of you have experienced or witnessed this in other areas mostly music honestly yeah, music it's like for sure it's the classic like uh, that's a huge one yeah i was into this band before you were you know that yeah, kind of thing totally. yeah yeah totally uh ultimately gatekeeping can really stifle or suffocate a movement a culture a scene Because access is so limited and people become discouraged. I was telling Mm -hmm. someone a story earlier today about a time I was at a show and a girl put her cigarette out on my head. And she said, (gasps) you don't belong here. Like, why are you wearing pink? And I I felt discouraged. I left. (sighs) I mean, obviously, I had like a wound on my head. But it made me think like I'll never go see this band again. Because people will be shitty to me because I like pastels. Oh no! There's a but lot of gatekeeping. There's a lot of gatekeeping in woodworking for oh, anyone really? that's not surprising. Than, like a white man. So I I have felt that a lot. Right. Um, and it is super discouraging, and it's hard to like get in if you're different. I feel like you you've had a few oh, experiences totally. oh, with yeah. different. Oh yeah, like. I mean, your electrician experiences. <laughs> oh my gosh, experiences. that sucked. Yeah, I, I tried to get into the electrical union for three years and was denied because what? they only take like two to four women a year. And what? it's it's just a whole thing about the the culture and in different tra- union trades. But yeah, it, it that was really discouraging. And I have a friend in there who's trying to make a difference now. She's like really incredible. And she's like fighting for women's rights in the trade and trying to get women like maternity leave and different things like that. But but for me, it's like, I can't, I can't, I can't keep trying to get in. Like, I think three years is enough and then that's it. But, um, oh, but yeah. It, and let me just say, based on how I introduced Leslie before, I have no doubt in my mind that she was like the very, very oh, top of her oh, fucking absolutely. class. Tell me <laughs> absolutely. And you know what? When I took, you have to take like an entrance exam. Like I studied the shit out of it. And then when I went into the interview, I had every single <laughs> question and answer memorized like a crazy person i I think maybe i was too prepared (laughs) 
but <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's, no such thing. Yeah. there's no such thing uh so yeah anyway gate gatekeeping is a real yeah. thing in terms of like quilting yeah. i i do want to say that like and with some things everything in moderation so like i think a little bit of not gate well i guess i'll just call it gatekeeping because that's what we're talking about but a little a little bit of people saying like you know this is this is what it is kind of like keep some something like authentic about what it was not necessarily keeping people out but maybe just mm. trying to keep like the original craft alive preserve. To, to preserve but yeah. but when it when it comes to like keeping people out that's a huge problem and i i don't get behind that at all yeah yeah yeah, I mean, Jason and I were talking about this a lot because, like, I feel like I often, maybe not often, but I sometimes accuse him of gatekeeping when it comes to, like, tattoo mm. culture or, like, the art world and stuff. Not necessarily accuse him, but, like, it comes up in conversation a lot. And we've had so many conversations about the line between gatekeeping and 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 being someone who's immersed yourself in a field and have had a lot of experiences have maybe even studied something for so long that they've really earned mm -hmm. their place and then to see someone come in and f out of nowhere without having any of those experiences can be unnerving mm -hmm. for many reasons, depending on what you're talking about specifically. Definitely. And I feel like w when it comes to, like, for example, we talked about the range of different types of people making coats out of quilts, and there are the people who are really, really thorough and thoughtful with their craft, um, and they've been doing it a long time. So then to see someone who's just seen it on Instagram and said, I can do that. And, you know, sometimes I've seen some, I've gotten like ads for different makers making clothes out of quilts. And, you know, I, I'm a little nervous bringing this up. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But like, you can see, you know, the workmanship is not there. And when we're trying to push for clothing that is going to stand the test of time and I just get a little bit nervous about that because if you buy from a maker and you get it and it you know looks a certain way and perhaps it falls apart or doesn't you know whatever then I don't want that to put you off from purchasing like handmade goods going mm -hmm. forward mm -hmm. so I know I got really specific there but like yeah to Leslie's point like not that there's a certain degree of gatekeeping that's that's necessary, but a certain degree of like, I don't know. I, I don't know what the word would be. I feel like preservation is like a good word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Which you said. <laughs> but then I know that, Amanda, you had some really good points about that too. Well, you said something that, you know, you said a doctor isn't a gatekeeper if they get upset when someone gives medical mm. advice without having any education yeah. or experience in medicine, I mean, right? Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, like, where, why is it that when it comes to an artistic field, mm -hmm. you know, like, you have to be open to absolutely everyone jumping in, but with something like science, 
you have to go through years and years of like education and practice before you are even allowed to call yourself mm-hmm. a doctor. So it's like, obviously, those are extremely <laughs> different things. But I'm not comparing an artist to a doctor. But I mean, there is some some gray area between there. Absolutely. That's a great point. And I think like preservation is a really great term, I think, because whether you're a doctor trying to preserve people's health (laughs) and the validity of good information or someone trying to preserve a craft, an art like quilting, uh, we need we need those people. But I think, unfortunately, or fortunately, preserving a art form, an area of expertise like medicine, anything requires a level of diplomacy and gray area thinking that like, for example, I don't see in Mary Fawn's video, like that just turns people off Mm -hmm. of quilting. Like, Mm -hmm. who are we to say that perhaps the people who are making quilt clothes now are not going to become so enchanted with quilts themselves that they don't become quilters themselves somewhere down the line right now they might be like yeah fuck that quilt culture is full of bitches or something and like (laughs) i don't i unfortunately like if you're going to have a public platform where you're going to consider yourself a leading voice in your field in your area of interest or expertise then you also I mean, it comes back to like this idea of like journalistic standards or the journalistic voice. Mm-hmm. You need to you need to think of yourself as a diplomat and how your words are going to have a major impact on other people right. and possibly the future of your area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally fair. Um, you know, like not to pick apart Mary Fawns, but it's just like that I I would suspect that the quilting community as as a whole might not want her to be their spokesperson based on just the her, the vibe that she's putting out there to, to put it simply um yeah you know so one thing that came up is this idea of like honing your craft and being better at sewing quilt clothes before you actually cut up a quilt and turn it into clothing mm-hmm. right Honestly, yeah. Danny, I've seen some really bad towel clothes, towel hats on the internet. Mm. I know people send them to you, but I see, I see that yeah. like there's a lack of skill there with sewing right now, or construct, or right. understanding of construction. You've obviously worked mm-hmm. in fashion for a long time and have experience and education in that area, so you have an advantage. But I was wondering if maybe there's privilege attached to being expected to take the time to hone your craft. Yeah, because if you need Absolutely. money. Time is a problem. Yeah. And I mean, like, I can't just, I can't just stand on my pedestal and say like, oh, I've had like 10 years working in the industry. I went to, you know, FIT, one of the best fashion schools in the country, et cetera, et cetera, and not acknowledge my privilege in all of that. I worked, the only reason that I am able to have this brand that I have now is because I worked for fast fashion brands for 10 years. And I saved up my money so that I would be able to take this huge risk. And, you know, like, even though I had to move out to the country because I couldn't afford to live in Brooklyn anymore, like, I had a huge amount of privilege in allowing me to do that into this space that I'm now living in. Like, so much privilege in my life that has allowed me to be in the position that I'm in. So absolutely, I can't just like, you know 
wag my finger at someone for making clothing because, you know, they lost their job during the pandemic and they saw this other, you know, thing emerge on the internet, people making these things. And they were like, that's something I could do. Like, how can I shame anyone for that? That's, that would be awful of me to do, you know? So there's definitely like, we have to acknowledge our privilege even when talking about earning your quote stripes or, you know, being able to hope, like you said, hone in your craft enough to be able to really get to a good place in it before you try and profit from it. Right, yep. right. I think, unfortunately, we just can't expect that or ask that of people. I mean, I last summer, mm. I attended virtually this uh, incubator accelerate, accelerator for uh, women podcast hosts. And I was really shocked to find that most of the people there hadn't don't edit their episodes. They just record them and upload them. That's it. They don't do any audio fix, fixing, if you will, to them. And mm-hmm. most of them had never even listened to their podcast before. And I <laughs> felt like really outraged and upset about that, actually, because I put so much time and work into editing and getting it right. And... I realized that I actually come from a place of privilege even there because I had Dustin to teach me how to do that stuff. And I come from a kind of professional background where you constantly have to be like polishing and polishing because you never know what's going to happen. And so I already had that professional experience that told me that I should take that time and make sure it was right. And Mm -hmm. I too had to be like, shut myself down where I was like, why are these people even podcasting if they don't want to do the work? And I was like, whoa, 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 chill here. You know, Mm -hmm. like this this is how we all learn to do better is with time and practice. And I think it's a similar, Mm -hmm. it's a similar thing, right? Like your craft does take time. Some of us got a head start for a few reasons. Yeah, absolutely. We might also just be older. (laughs) That helps too, (laughs) right? Right. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) So We're all in our 30s here. I guess I would just say, I mean, this question is primarily directed at you, Leslie, but Danny, I think you probably would have some thoughts there too. How do we ensure that both the quilting community and the upcycler community is open and accepting, but also that people are doing the work to do better with time? I mean, I feel like an ex- a welcoming community would help teach people to do Mm -hmm. better, but maybe that's expecting too many people to do much free emotional labor. Well, I am always willing to talk to people about anything that has to do with quilts. Like, I love it. I, one thing I cannot stand are people that like hold skills and techniques to their chest and like don't, mm -hmm, won't give it away like a sacred thing. That's like their secret. Like I cannot stand that. Like, you know, come to me if you have any questions about that. Um, I will be happy to talk. I think like what what both sides really need to do is just like be respectful of each other. That's kind of like the mm-hmm. key my key thought about this whole thing. And honestly, just try to see the other person's point of view. Like I never thought that I would be where I am now, but I just like decided to really to take time and like listen to what the other side had to say and I was like you know what like that's that's totally legit point like who am I to be like don't do that you know I mean these are people's lives and like it's just a lot of drama to to make it black and white Mm -hmm. totally totally. yeah I mean I I have 
I feel very much the same way as Leslie. And if anyone who follows me on Instagram knows that I share a, a wealth of information and I'm happy to answer questions, but there have been points in time where it has start to started to make me feel a little burnt out. And I know mm-hmm, Amanda, mm-hmm. you can, you can attest yes. to this as well. Yeah. Way more so than me, but because, you know, I, especially like when I started and, you know, the first year of the pandemic, everything was going gangbusters and it was like amazing. It's so much so that I didn't continue to pursue my other business. I, you know, didn't pursue freelancing anymore. And I was like, okay, I'm going to dive in full force with this. And so I was more than happy to share, you know, my thoughts on like how I grew my business and, and stuff like that with folks because I was getting paid by people buying my things. Mm. But then, you know, last year there was a bit of a a flip where, you know, I felt my business slowed down a lot. A lot of people felt this way. I know I've talked to a lot of other small businesses and I started to realize that like a lot of the following I had amassed were, you know, people following me for many, many different reasons but one of the smaller reasons were that they were going to actually purchase something from me, which is mm-hmm. fine. I don't care. Obviously, I've got a lot of followers. I do not expect, you know, even the majority of them to want to purchase something from me. But when things were getting, you know, tight budget-wise, I was getting kicked out of my apartment. And still I had people, like, asking me, how do I do this? How do I do that? All the time. And not many sales coming through, there was a little bit of resentment that was building up because I felt like I was giving, (laughs) giving, giving, giving. And at the end of the day, it's tough because I'm, you know, someone who's promoting slow fashion, conscious consumerism, not consuming so much. But at the end of the day, that is how I make my money Mm -hmm. is people buying stuff from me. Right. It's really, it is a weird place to be in. Um, So it does get tough because I feel like a lot of people are like coming to me asking questions and I'm so happy and I feel very flattered that people want my perspective on things and my advice and opinion. But at the end of the day, like, you know, like I may have a lot of followers, but I'm not like, you know, making tons of money here. So. Right. It, it, it there is like a, a fine line and, and that gets tough because I don't have a day job separate from this. This is my job, you know? Right. right. Maybe no, I'm I, feeling I so you. generous with my time because no one ever comes to ask me anything. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> wait. Oh, wait. I'll just wait, Leslie. <laughs> After the way I talked you up. Yeah, everybody. It's, you are going to probably have to turn off your phone for a few days. <laughs> So, okay, moving on, I want us to envision a non-quilt clothing world, which to be fair, yes, quilt clothing has always been around, but really it came up in a major way a few years ago, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. Imagine if quilt clothing didn't exist. If everybody watched Mary Fawn's video and was like, you know what, I'm an asshole and I am never making another quilt garment again. What happens to those quilts? Like, where where do they end up? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure, Leslie, you have a lot more information about quilt preservation, museums, that kind of thing. Uh, I know there are some quilt museums, but I would assume 
there aren't that many. Well, there there definitely are quilt museums, like many in the U.S. and a lot of you know just art museums have quilts. Um, you know, they're museums that are just art museums, like aren't necessarily like looking for more quilts. I don't know what their like quota is for quilts, but um, I think that every person <laughs> should have a large number of quilts. You have quilts. <laughs> I know, I love it. You know, you have quilts for your bed, and when you change them out, you have different quilts for different seasons. It changes the room. Mm, like quilts yeah. are like such a special thing. They're they're like as special as like your dining room table or 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 like your sofa, your expensive sofa in your living room. That they are like what what can make your bedroom. They're the most important yeah. thing there. So switch it out, like you know, depending on your mood, I have quilts that I like go together. It's kind of like an outfit, which is funny because I only wear black, but like in my bedroom, it's like super colorful. And like, you mm. know, um, I have quilts that I use on, on my sofa. So like, you know, just different sizes. And I would say that yeah. like quilts that have, you know, blemishes, I have many, not many, I have a few antique quilts, which I just started collecting that are stained that some of the reds are starting to to disintegrate but like who cares they're still like unbelievable in their design so like yeah. that doesn't bother me like at all right there's also ways to like fade from some of those stains like putting them in the sun and like just like spraying water on them and like letting it dry kind of like bleaches it out um hmm. and if if there is a quilt that has something weird on it, like maybe you cut it down and you like find it and it's like a little bit smaller now or, mm -hmm. or, you know, you can repair it. And there, even if there's like a weird stain, you can just put a piece of fabric like right over it. And it's like, who cares? Mm -hmm. That's like totally fine. There, there is one um, antique quilt repair woman that, I have been following for a while and her name is Ann Wasserman and you can find her on Instagram at Ann underscore quilts. So it's just A-N-N underscore quilts. And she has a really cool book that's called Preserving Our Quilt Legacy. It's all about quilt repair. Sometimes she gives um, virtual workshops. I think she just did or yeah. Um, so I don't know. I would say like, look it up, get into the world of quilts. Like, if you if you want a quilt coat, like if that's something that you're like really into, I guarantee you'll want like a quilt for your house. It's pretty Absolutely. cool and you'll use it more. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses please go give them your support. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com.
Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of February, St. Evans is supporting the Yellow Hammer Fund, a reproductive justice organization serving Alabama and the Deep South. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evans. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom-and-pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed, made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicwear offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at Cute Little Ruin. The Pewter Thimble is a curated secondhand shop based out of Rome, Italy. Owner Desiree Marie Townley has a background in costuming and makeup for dance and opera and focuses on dressing for the character you want to be in the world. Curated collections are dropped in a story sale and always have a specialized theme, like the color palette of Starry Night, the film classic Casablanca, and the children's novel The Secret Garden. 
Desiree works with local artisans, and pieces are rescued from markets and rehabilitated and resold with worldwide shipping. The Pewter Thimble is a collection of pieces that will have eternal style from the Eternal City. Discover more on Instagram at the Pewter Thimble. Danny pointed out something that she was saying that she saw vintage sellers note that five years ago they couldn't sell a quilt to save their life. So they had to pass on them whenever they saw them. Now they can always be mm-hmm. rehomed. Like I said, it took me two years to still not find a quilt. Um, so hopefully this year will be the year. But mm-hmm. I, you know, it's important, as we touched on before, to say that like, you know, clothing has been made from quilts for a long time. And I did some very high-level reading about the history of quilt clothing. I'm sure, Leslie, you have a whole lot more to add to this, but patchworking, patchwork and quilting has been around for about 5,000 years, and making patchwork clothing from scraps goes back centuries, and it was often seen as a way for women to show off their stitching skills. The modern technique of turning a quilt into a clothing is somewhat new, although we cannot say this enough, poorer people have been always remaking and reusing materials. So quilts have certainly been turned into clothing and other items as long as quilting has been around. What we're seeing, really seeing right now is a different regard for these existing materials, or at least a different view of the items. We touched on this earlier in the conversation that these quilts and anything that's being upcycled are less seen as less their current whole state, i.e. a quilt, and more for their usefulness and elements, fabrics, colors, texture, raw materials. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, that makes sense from a sustainability perspective. We have to use Mm -hmm. what we have. So rather than the value of the quilt being the quilt, it's the materials and Mary claimed that there's no respect for the quilts and these upcycles are gleefully murder them, et cetera. How do we feel? I mean, this is a hard one, right? Because we know that a quilt isn't something you just throw together in like half an hour. And even if you did, it would still have a value, that work, that artistry would still be there. But we know it's a much bigger project. How do we feel about something that could take a year to make now not being about the final product, the quilt, and being more of just raw materials. That's a tough one, right? And who owns the materials, right? Like, because the quilt is actually made of original materials, right? And those materials might even have had sentimental value. You know, they could be made from clothes of family members or other important items. Mm-hmm. So they... The materials themselves—it's—it's it's weird to think about it this way. It kind of is like when you try to think about the size of the universe, and your brain's like, "I can't do it anymore." It's like these materials—the makers are seeing the quilt as the material, but the reality is the real materials belong to someone else a long time ago, and they use their work to make what is now considered the raw material for these upcyclers. Right. <laughs> That's intense. I know. <laughs> I mean, I know that Danny, you're, you know, like you're not like, oh, the the people who make the towels must be so sad right now, like you know, that. Well, that's actually interesting because I, I mean, I guess we'll go into this later, but, um, actually, you know what? Scrap that because I feel like it distracts from what you were already saying. <laughs> well, okay, so I guess what I'm saying is like this is where the mind fuckery I for lack of a better term comes into play where you're like okay I can see like I said I can see all sides of this argument and I can see why Mary Fonz would be like you know 
these materials might have sentimental value regardless they were collected and and edited and put together and and then actually like this quilt was made by a person and it took a lot of work and artistry and now this mm-hmm. new person's coming in and saying oh this isn't like a work of art not and once again we know that people wouldn't be making clothes out of quilts if they didn't think they were beautiful and special, but they're not looking at mm-hmm. them as this artwork that should be preserved and framed. They're saying like, this is raw materials for a new thing that's going to be even better. It's sort of like buying a house, a mid-century house and gutting it. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm trying to find a comment because I did co- I did copy some of okay. the comments from the YouTube feed that I that I thought were like really poignant and like, that kind of like helped me see the other Mm -hmm. side um because to me there was there's so much tied up in quilts like the history and like the culture and like you know the art of it all and so this is what um this is one of the comments fashion is history fashion is art fashion is culture in the same way that quilting is Many of these arguments conclude that a seamstress, a designer, a clothing maker, whatever you want to call it, is less than a quilter, reducing beautiful pieces of wearable art to garbage. Designers don't fail to recognize the art of quilting, but you fail to recognize the art of fashion. That is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And love that. I'm sorry. I I didn't, I didn't like note who these people were. I just like literally copied and pasted. Sorry, YouTube. Um, But that was a, yeah, sorry that that was a that was a good one. Um, no, that is actually that brings me to a point that I was thinking about um, when I was really stoned in the bath the other day, because <laughs> um, <laughs> that's where I do my best. Of course, thinking. naturally. Um, me too. Yeah. Oh my god, you guys! I think I'm addicted to it. Like no joke. <laughs> I uh-huh. finally well, you found know, I... my my peaceful place, like my my way well, to relax. Anyways, do do you know why you think in the bathtub? And I because I've been like thinking about like everything I do, and I was like, why do I think in the bathtub? Because your body is in just such a state of calm; it's almost mm. like not even there. That there's like no weight on you. There's like no physical. It's probably something a- to go back, going back to like you know when you were in your mother's womb, yeah, kind Ooh. of, and all the deep thoughts you were thinking yeah. then too. And you forgot about them. Wow, this is a real Yeah, tangent. this is really taking a turn. <laughs> I know, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but what I was going to say mm-hmm. was that I was thinking about how in my closet I have a denim jacket that when I look at it, I think 2016. It just hits me over the head <laughs> because it is covered in patches, one of which says uh, – quarter-life crisis, um, I I don't have a nasty gal patch. I Not nasty gal, nasty, nasty woman <laughs> patch. But I might as well because I've got a ton of other, like, feminist, like, so 2016, like, like uh, enamel pins of, like, a boob, free the oh, neck, like that kind yeah. of stuff. Look at it, and it's just 2016 to me. And I don't know if I'll ever wear that jacket again. I can't tell into the future, but it is an archive in my closet. It is something (laughs) I will never get rid of. You know what? Mm -hmm. Honestly, like if I have a child, I would probably hand it down to them, and hopefully they would, you know, be able to appreciate the nostalgia Mm -hmm. of it. But in a weird way, I feel like the quilt coat – 
says so much about these pandemic years. Like, the amount of, like, stress and sadness and, like, upheaval that we've experienced in the past couple of years, no wonder we all want to wrap ourselves in a fucking quilt that is made by someone in their, like, made by hand by someone. Like, it is so beautifully symbolic that, Mm. like, even if it it is a trend... I hope that people still see it as like this archive and memory of this time, how we all kind of like, you know, the best we could do was wrap ourselves in a quilt, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, Mm -hmm. I love that comment about fashion and, and, you know, how we have to respect this moment in fashion history too, because I don't know, that just really, really speaks to me. And I think there's something really beautiful about this moment in time and quilts having such a moment in fashion history. Totally. And I can't believe we haven't touched on this yet. There are multiple times I've been like, oh, yeah, say that. And then I forget. I'm coming back to it again. (laughs) We cannot underestimate the amount of skill and technique involved in making clothing out of quilts. Like every time I see something sewn out of a quilt, I'm like, whoa, how did you do that? It must have been so hard. There were so many layers and things to take into account. And like you had to to place the pattern just so. And – you know, the drape and the fit is so much more complicated. And I'm sure there are bad fitting quilt clothes out there. But like, the people who have been doing it the most and being the most successful at it, they're geniuses. Because clearly they're doing it right, because people keep coming back for them. And definitely, I, I feel like we're forgetting, it's really, really hard to make clothing. It's even harder to make clothing out of a quilt. And seeing those clothes dismissed as dumb, really, I I mean, I can barely sew any clothing. It really hurts me. Like, it it makes me angry because I know (laughs) Mm -hmm. all the time and work that goes into making clothing in general. I actually saw – I'm on this Facebook group for people who really love new works and it's it gets really extreme in there. And someone said, I took some fabric to a seamstress and asked her to sew me a dress and she said it would be 250 to $500. That seems really crazy to me. And I was about to jump in and be like, oh my God, you don't know how long it takes to make a dress, uh, especially yeah. specifically for one person. There's going to be fittings, all this stuff. But then someone else jumped in and said it yeah. for me so I didn't have to. But I think... <laughs> I see Mary Fawns dismissing these clothes and I'm like, maybe maybe you don't know about making clothes. You only know about making quilts. And going back to the comment from YouTube that Leslie shared, it's sort of like taking the stance where quilts are more more of a valid art form than clothing. And I, I don't like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is really interesting. So the other thing that I was seeing in the comment section on Instagram, because I, like I said, I went really deep, is that s- there were people in there who were like, I would never donate a quilt. That's like a document for my family and so precious. And other people jumped in and said, you know what? I would actually love all of my family's quilts to go somewhere else be made into clothes because my family is filled with trauma and it's a nightmare and I don't want to be reminded of it. And people were like, I mm. can't believe you would say that about quilts that someone in your family made. And it made me realize like if if someone gave you a quilt or you inherited a quilt or you made a quilt, if you don't want to use it and you want to give it to someone else to make into clothes, isn't that your business? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, some people wouldn't want the reminder, 
even if they did love the person who made it, perhaps they, it's too painful. I mean, or they just don't like it. Or they just don't like right. it. Fair. <laughs> like, it, do- it doesn't need to be, like, a dramatic reason. They just might not like it. Yeah. Like, as when I go to estate sales and I see piles and piles of quilts, oftentimes these estate sales are are run by, you know, other companies, but they could also be at times run by the family itself. And they've already come right. through everything. They already took what they wanted. So it's fair game at that point. And that's up to them. There is a trendiness attached to quilts too, right? Like sometimes they're in trend from from a decor perspective and sometimes they're not. Sometimes people are like, I want a big solid white duvet. You know, like right. the, this is another reason why probably so many quilts have ended up at thrift stores, at state sales, yard sales, et cetera, because people are like, oh, it's like a grandma thing. And I don't exactly, agree with that. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I can picture that going down. And that person right. has a completely different decor than may- maybe what we're aiming for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But I felt like there was, like, I, I was almost wanting to message these people and say, like, hey, so would you be cool with these people who don't want their family quilts just sending them to you? And you can watch them. <laughs> uh, but then I was like, oh, that's inflammatory. But I just, I just wondered <laughs> about that because I think even – there is a certain level of privilege attached to being precious about other people's quilts because you assume that that person has only the fondest memories of their family and they want mm-hmm. the, to be surrounded by those quilts forever. You assume that people have the space to store them. Yeah. The or means the time to, store them. to the t- take care of them and repair them. Not yeah. everyone does. Or that the people like them. Is like really right. important to just that's not a privilege, but it's just it's just a point to call out. I feel like there a lot of the comments that were going that direction, I just felt like we're also just as sort of blind to the nuance of the human condition as Mary Fonz was in saying that uh this was cultural appropriation of quilt culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then moving forward, here's the part which I know of many parts, got Danny really riled up. (laughs) Mary suggested that people stop buying clothes made from pre-existing quilts and get that quilted look in other ways by buying something inspired by quilts. And then she went on to, I'm pretty sure she mentioned Target, or did I make that up? I I, absolutely did. did. I don't know if she mentioned it or she showed the logo of brands. Like she, I I only watched it once. I couldn't bear to watch it again, but I also didn't want to give her another view on her YouTube video. I was like, did I plant this in my mind because I saw quilt clothes at Target? Right. So she, she says like those clothes aren't as important. Go ahead and wear them and be trendy and dispose of them the way people are being with like, you know, quilts made out of clothes. And then when she goes to talk about like alternatives, because she apparently was giving some really great suggestions to these upcyclers about what they should really be doing, which were like the weird, like just so confusing her suggestions. But she talked about the landfills and how like our overconsumption of fashion. So it was very contradictory the way that she did that. It didn't really make sense. So for someone who did months of research, her quote, it was a little surprising and confusing. Yeah, But you brought up a good point where she was basically like, just go get these quilt clothes at Target and wear them a couple times and do whatever. Mm -hmm. You said, and this is something we talk about a lot, you and I have talked about a lot, do quilts Mm -hmm. have a different value than new quilted clothing? Why do we cherish or value things made in a home setting more than in a factory? Mm -hmm. Are we valuing the labor of one over the other? And why? Yeah. 
Snaps me. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. Like, because our biggest problem in our society with our consumption of clothing is that we don't think about where it comes from. Out of sight, out of mind. It's made by someone else in some other country. They're getting paid very little, but it's probably a good wage for them in their country. So who am I to say that, you know, like, that must be a shitty job? Because to them, it's probably a great job. This is the rhetoric that I feel like I've been, Oh, like, my God. I mean, dude, I've been doing... it on me my whole career. And oh, it's, I'm, totally. I'm reading Consumed right now, <laughs> and I'm just, like... Because I was, like, eager to find, to hear, like, Aja Barber's, like, unpacking of that rhetoric, which mm -hmm. is kind of, like, what we're all pushed in, like, fashion school. Not not maybe, like, directly, but it's kind of, like, the subtly the way that we think of things. Um, so, yeah, why are we valuing the labor of, you know... What I wrote here was, why are quilts made by someone else's grandma or neighbor in your town more valuable than the clothing made by someone's grandma or neighbor in another country? Why are clothes... What are we talking about here? Are, are we talking about, like, handmade clothes or are we talking about factory clothes? No, clothing. But all, but this is the thing, is that we a lot of people forget that all clothes are made by hand. Yes, there are sewing machines involved, but robots don't make our clothes. But Amanda, you say that all the time. Oh, my God. I get a message at least once a week from someone who's like, I just learned that clothes aren't made by robots. I'm wait, seriously. Wait. I, I, okay. All right. I, I have a problem with this. Go, okay. go for it. Yeah, are, go for are it. Are you saying that quilts are the same as factory-made clothes? No, but I'm saying the people behind them. There are people behind making a quilt and there are yeah. people behind making clothes. So why are we valuing the labor of someone who made a quilt over the labor of someone who made our fast fashion clothing? She's telling us to consume fast fashion clothes inspired by quilts. But guess what? Those are made by people who are exploited and paid poverty wages, if any wages, in other countries. So why... She, I think this is also where she was getting defensive, but she's not understanding the baggage mm -hmm. behind what she's saying because, like, and that's what I guess Amanda and yeah. I are trying to unpack now yeah, is I, the fact I, that that she's saying go shop Target because mm -hmm. that's okay, but we are right. acknowledging that people made the clothes at Target too. Yeah, yeah. No, we're like, uh, listen, a quilt like is a much bigger project than right. sewing some quilt-inspired clothes from Target. But her argument was basically like, we need to preserve these quilts and the artistry and workmanship involved in them. And instead, you should go to Target and buy clothes that were paid made by exploited people. Except she didn't say that part. Yeah. She I, just said you should go buy the clothes. Right. I totally and I, yeah, I get that now. I Once again – would have loved for Mary Fonster's show's video of a, to a couple of her friends before she posted it because hopefully one of those friends would have been like, oh, Mary, I feel like you are getting into some dangerous territory there. You do not know of what you speak. Don't tell people to go shop fast fashion. You're going to totally negate every other valid point you made in this yeah. video. I mean, there were other invalid points that did that. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even if the rest of it was, like, totally sound logic, it would be like, whoa, Nelly. Cut that part out because I'm assuming that Mary Fonz doesn't know a lot about what happens right. or how the clothes we buy are made. She might think, like many other people, that clothes are made by robots and they're not. And I mean, I still – listen, 
Danny and I talk about this all the time. You don't, no one talks about the people who make the clothes in the fashion industry. You just don't bring it mm -hmm. up. I had a coworker tell me once when I brought it up, she was like, listen, I went to Vietnam for a trip for Nike and the kids there, they are excited to have jobs. Oh. Like they want to have jobs. They were cheering when we all came into the factory. Oh, no. And I was like, whoa, whoa, way to just like tell me the truth about Nike right there. Yeah. But also like I was like, but is it fair for kids to be in a position where no. it's either starve or work in a factory? No. Those kids should go to school and get to play and have fun like kids here in the United States get to do. And, you know, like this is the defense all the time. Like, like I honestly, there's a podcast I listen to. It's not about fashion on any level. And they got themselves into some deep trouble, in my opinion, talking about the Target Afghan, not Afghan, the crocheted stuff, which has been going mm. around the internet yeah. for the past few weeks. It's um, funny because you Target's, and I, in our first episode together, we talked exactly about that, that crochet right, and it's like be made mind-blowing to people. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you see crochet has to be made by hand, when you go to Target and see a crocheted sweater for $30 – you know that those people were paid pennies to do that work. To crochet work. it with a single hook. Like oh, think no. about that for a second. They had a ball of yarn and a hook and you're paying $19 for it. Oh God. Right, right. It's it's really, it's really bad. So this podcast was like, yeah, but like what you guys don't understand is that those people, they may actually make a lot of money for where they live. <gasps> and oh, if we paid them, th I know, I know. <laughs> but they were like, if we paid them the same minimum wage that we paid people here in the United States, everybody in that country would be a millionaire. And I'm like, oh, people man. are really willing to go there to make themselves feel better about a situation that is not oh, good. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I, I know, I know. And I feel like there was a little bit of that coming in with Mary Fawns because I did see comments where people were like, yeah, if you like quilt clothes so much, go buy them at Target, like in the comment section. And I was like, oh, man. When's someone going to rebut that argument? But this is you why know, like there's a big disconnect between like what's happening in this small community. Because really it is. We talk about this all the time. We're in a bit of an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. And it's very clear that someone like Mary has not been like brought into that fold and doesn't really understand like the root of why we're doing this. And yes, because sometimes that route is muddied for people getting into it for the wrong reasons of course but if you really are to immerse yourself in the world of like slow fashion sustainability upcycling you would understand that like this is this is where it comes from and why we do it right right and I do wonder could this video have been different I mean I know this is where I get confused because wasn't Mary Fawns interviewing people who make quilt clothing. Yes. Because I had wondered, like, if there had been more conversation, more dialogue with the upcycling community, maybe she would have seen both sides of it. Like, much like Leslie reading the comments section was like, oh, whoa, like, this is changing my thinking mm -hmm. on it, right? Couldn't the same thing have happened for her? I mean, I feel like it depends on the person. Like, she kind of seems like someone who's just, like, so hot on her own vision of how things should be that she can't see the other side and I mean sometimes it is just like sitting down quietly by yourself with an intention to see the other side that's what I did you mm -hmm. know but I mm -hmm. was like totally totally like with you know almost every single thing she said and it just took me saying 
no, I am going to intentionally go in there and like see the other point of view. People don't really do that. Like That's ever. very true. No. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's very true. That, there's no truer statement about <laughs> yeah. the way people are today. Yeah, it's true. It's true for at least the last five years. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because I feel like I participate in so many conversations that are really changing for me, and it's I get sad when I know that people miss out on that opportunity. But it also there's a lot of emotional labor involved with having to see the other side, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I I think we're coming down the home stretch of our conversation mm-hmm. now, and I just wonder, like, does anyone have any other thoughts or things they want to get off their chest or? Uh, something I, I forgot to cover. I do want to say that, like, I mean, this is kind of exactly following those points is that, like, this is all the more reason why, like, we need to have more of these conversations about the atrocities of the fashion world with people who aren't necessarily in this community. And, Definitely. you know, understanding the, the, like, the problems with just over consuming things from these fast fashion brands. And as Amanda, you say all the time, like our definition of fast fashion brands, like we don't even understand how broad the spectrum is because it's been such a constant race for all these brands that now most are operating in that cycle in that kind of system. So I feel like whenever we can have the opportunity to like invite people into the fold is a positive. And Mm -hmm. that's something I've been thinking a lot about, like the way I'm approaching my brand this year. And like, I'm going into some more collaborations that maybe in the past I would think were, um, not in line with my like ethos, but I'm trying to reframe it and think of it differently because I, I don't want this just to be preaching to the choir, you know? I Mm -hmm. want us to be inviting more people into this, and it's going to take time, and it is going to start with one person buying one thing from an upcycler, and they'll see the difference in what they're receiving, whether it's the quality of the item, being able to see that it's made from something vintage, which was made with more, you know, like care and time because like the quality of the the materials from like back in the day are better than the materials now in many cases they'll see the attention to detail in the packaging that they receive the thoughtful note and you know just from that one purchase they'll be like wow that was like a much better experience and every time I see that in my closet I want to wear it I get really excited which is very different than the same amount of money I spent on the five items I got from Shein or whatever. And, you know, so it, it's got, it's going to happen gradually, not overnight. So I'm excited to like try and bring more people into the fold is kind of, I love that that's yeah. how I feel about the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the fold has become too insular over the past couple of years yeah. and uh, maybe a little judgy and maybe a lot of us can actually learn from Mary Fonz how to not do it and how to do it better. Yeah. Yep. That's how, that's my takeaway from all the worst bosses I've had. <laughs> True. <laughs> okay. This was a good learning experience of how I don't want to be as a boss. 
Um, yeah, if I had any last words, it would be, um, I would just encourage the people who are making clothing from quilts. And I know some people are quilt makers themselves. That's awesome. But I would just mm -hmm. encourage them to make a quilt, even a small quilt, just so like you can understand the craft that you're working with. You know, it is important mm -hmm. to respect what you're working with. And the best way to do that is to learn it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's exactly what Rita said too. Rita? I saw her write that yeah. of Panty Witch. Yeah. She was saying exactly that. Oh. And I feel like that's a really good perspective. I agree. Well, also, I mean, if you've chosen that you're always going to make quilt uh, clothing from quilts, I think it can also help you hone your craft. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And um, and also, like, if you're thinking about starting to make quilts, I would say go for it. Just anyone. It's really easy. You can use the clothes out of your closet that you're not using anymore and just get a needle and thread. You don't even need a machine. Um, contact me if you have any questions. <laughs> I love that. I love you know, <laughs> I have been for a long time thinking, I mean, I don't have any free time, but if I did, that I wanted to get into quilting. Mm -hmm. And all of this Mary Fawn stuff made me feel like, oh, no, like that community is like way too precious no. and judgy and I no. don't want to get involved. So, yes, try quilting. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you to both of you. This was so fun. I could seriously talk about this for six more hours because I'm sure we're all going to stop talking and think of things we missed. Yeah, but, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I feel like this was a great group to break down this issue. Yeah, yeah. this was really fun. And like, I, I think I said this before that I was like definitely really scared when I suggested <laughs> inviting Leslie into this. It but wasn't that bad, I think was this it? was a very, no, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Leslie, you weren't as awful as I thought you'd be. <laughs> I was like picturing the CNN segments where like they have two different people from different, oh, two different sides yeah, of the yeah, aisle yeah, yeah. and they're like yelling over each other. And then like I was going to be the reporter at the desk like, okay, anyway, your time is up. So moving on to Danny or whatever. And it was going to be really nightmarish. And I was like, well, this is what we have to do because we have to hear all sides. So I'm glad that we had a really productive, actually a really productive conversation. I mean, it's my brain is turning in so many different places now about other things. Just how we can take this situation, this experience, this conversation, and channel it into our own work and doing a better job of making it more inclusive. Mm. Yeah. Well, thanks, Amanda. Yeah. It was great. Thank you for providing us this platform. Thank you so much to Leslie and Danny for spending so many hours talking with me. Although, honestly, when we were all done, it felt like it was five minutes because it was so fun to discuss all of this, and it was so great to meet Leslie. Special thanks to Danny for coming up with the idea of doing this in the first place, for getting Leslie on board. I'm so grateful. You're a peach, Danny. Leslie sent me some links to share with all of you, and they'll be in the show notes. I'll also include where to find Leslie and Danny. So go give them a follow if you haven't already. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. Researched, written, hosted, edited, all the things by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. Let's get more people in the slow fashion movement. If you want to support my work here on Close Horse, find out more at patreon.com slash Podcast. 
And thanks, as always, to my other half, Dustin Travis White, for our music and audio support. Bye. (laughs) 